Now let us also thank God for our, our awfully fathers and our dads and those amazing men of God. We thank God for all the men that are playing fatherly roles in someone's life. Amen. We thank God for you. For the men that are here today present, we thank God for you. I thank God for, for the gift of your life. I thank God for the gift of your leadership, for your courage, for your boldness, for your commitment. Uh, in the midst of all that you face as a man, you are committed and you've been privileged with the great responsibility to lead, to either lead a, a, a home, a family, to lead a wife and children. Uh, we just want to thank you that you are here. Uh, so many don't make it to this point. Many of you may feel you have crawled to this place, right? You crawled to this moment. Uh, you've been possibly fighting for years, possibly been fighting for the past few days, but you're here today and we honor you. And it's my prayer that as we worship the Lord together, that you find strength in the presence of God to continue to be the man of God that God created you to be, for you to continue to be the father that God created you to be, for you to continue to be the leader that God destined for you to be. Amen. So uh, let us give one last round of applause to all the fathers in here. I'm lucky I got a microphone. I thank my dad. Happy Father's Day to you, dad, if you get to watch the playback later. Amen. Where is the unstoppable church at? Where is the unstoppable church? Where is the unstoppable church? Are you available to God? It's a good question. And I want you to think deep. Are you available for God? I know you're at church, but that's, a, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking, did you come to church, if you have a routine of coming to church. Um, we can actually practice good routines that actually don't really have an effect on us. They just become a habit. You know, you could develop a bad habit, and then you don't even think about it. You're just doing it because it's become second nature. And you won't even realize how harmful it actually is to you. This is true. You could develop a habit that destroys you, or you could develop a good habit, but you're so disconnected from the significance or the actual genuineness, the intimacy of that good thing, and still even miss while practicing something good. And so as we speak about the unstoppable church, it's important that you're not just present in church out of good habit, out of good routine. It's very possible. If you were raised like me going to church every single Sunday, it's very possible that if I, my heart turned away from God, I would still show up to church on Sunday just out of habit. <laughs> this happens to many of us. We actually come into this place out of habit and our hearts are not even connected to God. And so it's possibly very true for some of us that we're sitting here and we're really not connected yet. And so even though if you're not connected, I'm telling you, you're sitting at the right place at the right time. And so God will work even with that. So I pray that you search deep and say, I know I'm in church, but the question is, am I available to God? Am I available to God? Not who came to church today. No, I'm asking you, are you available to God? Because let me tell you this, young people hear me right now. 
Serving God is a beautiful journey, but friends that you start with are not necessarily going to be friends that you finish with. And so you cannot be committed to this because of a friend. And it's beautiful when there is a friend along the way. Let me tell you this, God puts God-destined relationships beside you. This is for the whole church. There are people that God places in your path for the journey of life, and that is a beautiful thing. But you cannot be attached to God because you are attached to them. You have to find your own attachment to God. You have to find your own connection to God so that when you go through difficult times and when you pass through fire and maybe some people might burn away or some things burn away, you still have something to hold on to. So look around you. It might not be as full as we're used to, but I know God can do amazing things with a few people who are attached to him, who are committed to him, who are faithful to him. God does not need a multitude for him to magnify his power on earth. And I'm excited more than ever. I'm excited more than ever in the history of our church because we passed through some fire these past couple of weeks. And if you're here today, it's because you are strong, you are mighty, you're a great man, you're a great woman. So let's do this. Let's go to the next step. Let's reach the next level. Let's accomplish something great. We've all passed through our own fires. Some of them together, some of them in isolation. But we're here. If you made it this far, you might as well make yourself available to God. A good habit of coming to church may position you in the place of favor. But there's something that needs to happen in your heart that you reach the potential of the reason of why God created you. Hear me. The practice of a good habit might have you in here. But to get you to that next place, you have to become available. We can't just be bodies in a space. We can't just be people who take up room. You know what happens when you got a bunch of people who just take up room? They just get in the way. They just get in the way. Have you ever worked on a project and everyone showed up, but out of the 10 people that showed up, only two were willing to work? I'm glad that you're all in the space, the manager would say. But I'm sorry, the day is going to get cut short for eight of you. Because you got here and you're dressed up. You got here and you're wearing the uniform, but your heart is not committed. You are here, but you're emotionally not invested. And if you're emotionally not invested, in this case, spiritually invested, I don't want any of us to take up space. The grace and favor of God has placed us here. That's why you're here. Not because of the good that you did, but out of the grace of God, he opened the door and we are here. We're in our salvation because of the grace of God. And you're sitting in this church because of the grace of God. But the thing that is going to take you to the next level comes on your part, not God. And that's the problem with many of us. We get saved and we receive the grace of God. And then we think that God's going to do that the whole rest of the way. And so today, in in a sense, I want to address and rebuke the spirit of entitlement. Entitlement is this, where you demand rights without reason. Rights without reason. Just because. Just because you want. Just because you feel like it. You have done nothing to merit what you are requesting. That is a spirit of entitlement. Many of us 
way with a spirit of entitlement. We start demanding things for he- from heaven. We get together with people that we don't even care about, but we touch and agree. Not because we want them, but we want to use them because we want to abuse scripture that says if two or three get together in his name and ask, he's in the midst. We will get together with people that we are not connected to just so that God can do something on our behalf. And we don't care about them. We don't care about God. We just want something from him. That is a spirit of entitlement. And God, you should be in this place just because I showed up. The spirit of entitlement. There is a part that God does, and there's a part that God promises to show up in. But we play a key role in the middle. There's something that has to happen in our hearts that activates the presence of God in the natural, in the flesh of what we see. And so if we're praying and something's not happening, before we question God and question others, we have to question the motives of our prayer. God, am I asking you this out of entitlement? And sometimes when you check that, you realize, wow, I have been asking you for something that I'm not willing to work for. And anything that you are willing to ask God for, you better be willing to work for. Don't ask for marriage if you're not willing to work for marriage. Don't ask for children if you're not willing to work for children. Don't ask God to give you a job if you're not willing to work when you get to the job. Don't ask to be part of Team 7 if you're not willing to serve. (laughs) Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So Unstoppable Church, in this season, I'm trying to preach my brains out to you as much as I can. And I'm going over the same scriptures. Why I'm going over the same scriptures? Pastor, you said that for the past six weeks. You open with the same scripture. It doesn't matter. Read the same thing over and over until something clicks in your spirit. Don't, Don't read a bunch of scripture just for the sake of saying you made ground. Stop until you can spiritually digest what you just read. Some people celebrate, I finished my Bible year plan this year, eight years in a row. What stood out, what stood out to you? Nothing. I just read the Bible eight times. They read the Bible eight times and they're still nasty. They're still arrogant. They're still bitter. They're still unforgiven. They still don't serve. They still don't give. Why'd you read the Bible eight times for? I could have told you that was pointless. <laughs> Some of the things that we have been speaking about over these past weeks. Number one, if you haven't got it by now, the show is over. Number two, when we come together, that is when there's a display of God's power. We must have, to call ourselves the unstoppable church, we must have the gift of compassion. Amen? We must be a praying church. Last week, God needs you. If you were not here, go back. It's available on our uh, YouTube channel. Let me address this too. We're doing everything in our power right now to bring us together. It takes a lot of effort behind the scenes to keep in contact with a church that you're not supposed to be in contact with. Over the past few weeks have been some of the most times of our church in decision making, in creativity, in learning things in order to keep us together. But I thank God for challenging times because why? Challenging times bring out the best in you if you're willing to face up to the challenge. If you run away, run and hide in the closet, then I'm telling you a challenging time is going to come. You might be protected, but you ain't going to accomplish anything. I want to be the kind of church that will pass through the fire, but when we come out, our hands are full. 
And so I thank God because we have passed through the fire and we have came out with some things. I'm not saying we got everything, but we have learned some things. In passing through this fire, a prayer call got established for the entire church. Someone praise God. In passing through the fire, we develop a Bible study online that we're going to continue to keep even though we can meet here. Someone say, praise God. And passing through the fire, some people learn to use equipment in order to broadcast a live service two times a week to the whole entire rest of the church. Someone, praise God. While you conveniently sat in your home in your pajamas and pushed the button and all of a sudden music started playing and there were piano players and drummers and someone preaching to you. At your convenience, someone else was sacrificing to produce the presence of God in your home. So praise God for that. During this time, it produced people to pray that never prayed before. Lead the church in prayer. You know, we've been praying this whole time. Let me share my heart with you. At the same time, it is glorious, and I'm so excited about people praying who never prayed before. At the same time, there's a sentiment of brokenness to know that we had people who never prayed before leading the church in prayer, but there's 15 people on a prayer call. You know how many times people will come, we need a prayer service at the church. Six six o'clock in the morning, ain't working with Pastor Tanya. Seven o'clock in the morning, ain't working with Pastor Tanya and those who pray. Well, let me tell you this. It does not matter when someone says it's time to pray. It doesn't matter what time it is. If you really want to pray, you will find a way to pray. Do you know that? Oh, I wish Bible study was on this day because if it was on this day, then I would be able to go. No, if you really wanted to go to Bible study, you will find a way to go. Because even if prayer was at 7 in the morning or we moved it to 7 p.m. at night, we realize that it doesn't change how many people attend prayer. And so if before all of this whole craziness happened, we had over 100 people come into this building. We have over 50 people in our volunteer staff roster. Why we have over 100 people in attendance in this church, over 50 people in our church volunteer roster, are there 15 people praying? Why are there 20 people in Bible study? Why are there less than 50 people on Sunday streaming the service? Is there a spirit, there is a spirit of entitlement that we need to rebuke off of us? Do we only show up when we have a part to play? Or do we know how to sit in the presence of our brother and sister and intercede for them as God is using them? It would be terrible if I was only here when I preached. When I go on my preaching breaks, I go away for like five weeks. I have the best job being a pastor of this church. I know pastors who have a congregation of 5,000 plus and they cannot leave because they don't have anyone within the capacity. They have to invite someone, pay someone to come and preach. I have the amazing privilege that I could sit down right now. I could probably right now give a microphone to someone they could preach the night away without any preparation because they are connected to the spirit of God. And I realized that I am blessed. But it would be terrible that every time I sat down, I disappeared. If every time I don't have a part or don't have a microphone, I'm not here, that is a spirit of entitlement. The spirit of the show is on me. If I'm only here when I have a part in the spotlight. But today I want to tell you, everyone sitting here, you are contributing to what's taking place here. You either get to contribute with worship, with praise, with fellowship, with love, with mercy, with compassion. You don't need a microphone for those gifts. With giving. So today we're going to look. Here's my title. I'm going to give it to you before we read. 
I am spiritually gifted. Say that to yourself. I am spiritually gifted. Now, I could have said I am gifted. But I want you to know that this is more than just natural talent, natural ability. Some of us say, man, I've been able to do that since I was two without any lessons. And you think that you are talented. You think that you just naturally know. You are spiritually gifted. And there is nothing more powerful than a person who is spiritually gifted and gets connected to the heart of God. There are plenty of people in our world today where they are spiritually gifted. They're just not connected to the heart of God. And so they are using their gifts in the wrong place. They're using their gifts without glorifying God. But there is nothing more powerful on earth than a human being who is spiritually gifted and connected to the heart of God. A person who is spiritually gifted, connected to the heart of God, is powerful, has unlimited potential. There is no stopping what that person could do if they really pressed into the heart of God and into the gift that God placed inside of them. But there's a spirit of entitlement. And so rather, listen, rather than pressing more into the heart of God, rather than pressing into the gift that he's given to us, we tell God, you need to make a way. God, do something. Move something. God, open the door. Where are you, God? How many times our prayers are like that? God, you need to do something. Today, I want to suggest to you that, no, God is waiting for you to do something. Because if you were truly present to his heart, you would realize how spiritually gifted you are. And it is your gift. Hear me. It is the working and the use of your gifts or your giftings. Because many of us have more than one gift, more than one uh, talent that God has placed and trusted into us. If you would really start to use your gift, you would start to see space open up for you. God, do something. Be sure you're not praying with the spirit of entitlement. Because many times God has placed something inside of you that will get that thing to move on your behalf. But you're praying for him to move it. And God is saying this. You are spiritually equipped and gifted to use it and move the thing that you're asking me to move. Here, let me paint this picture for you. God, God uses Moses. God uses Moses. Moses has the gift of miracles that God placed in his hands. God tells Moses, you're going to walk up into Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let the people go, and I'm going to harden his heart. But when he does that, miracles will be done through you. I'm going to give you a rod, a staff. And you're going to speak. And when Moses says, oh, I can't speak, God says, I'm going to give you another gift. And I'm going to give you a brother who can speak on your behalf. And so when Moses finally leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, they get before the Red Sea and it is locked. And then Moses gets in front of the sea and says, trying to find the right words to say. He throws up a prayer in front of the Red Sea to God. He goes, God, I hope you hear this. And he says this, today you will see the Egyptians that you see today, you will no more ever see them again. And he's waiting on God to do something on his behalf. The very next verse in Exodus chapter 16, God tells Moses, why are you yelling at me? Moses had the spirit of entitlement where he just thought God was going to open it. That he didn't have to do anything. God was just going to open it. God says, why are you yelling at me? 
Stretch your hand with the rod, the gift that I've given you, over it and march forward. And then you will see the glory of God. And so there's a fine line with entitlement, genuine prayer, and the gift of God manifesting so you can move forward. Moses prayed, God, open this. God told Moses, use the rod, step forward, use the gift. The gift will open the sea that you're praying for me to open for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. First Corinthians 14, 26, the theme scripture for unstoppable church. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What then shall we say? Just speaking to the Corinthian church, brothers and sisters. When you come together, are we together? Each of you has a hymn, meaning a song, or a word of instruction, a revelation a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If we really want to build up this church, it's going to require everyone bringing what they have. Not a few. Not just the pastor. Not just the worship team. We're all here. So what are we all bringing? Now, James chapter 1, verse 17, I want to use this as our theme scripture. James 1, verse 17, every, not some, keyword, every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. Coming down from whom? The Father of the heavenly lights. So every good and perfect gift that you have comes from who? from our gracious Father, the Father of heavenly lights, who does not, look at this, change like shifting shadows. Who does not change like shifting shadows. This is just giving you a, a descriptive way of saying, God doesn't give and then change his mind overnight. The good and perfect gifts that God has given to you he has not repented of giving those gifts to you. Romans 11 uh, verse 29 says this, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Some other translations say without repentance. So God is so good as our Father that when he gives us something, even though we and our character are like shifting shadows, changing one day to the next, one day we're good, next day we're bad. One minute we love God, next minute we're not sure. One day we're committed, one day we're not. One minute we're fire, one minute we're cold. One day, even though we are constantly like shifting shadows, God does not. And what God has given to you, he leaves with you. That's powerful. That's why when you were on fire with God and you worship in the church, the church got goosebumps and some of them fell to the chairs. The anointing of God just flowed and God was there. But that's also true that's when you walked out of church and then you were sitting in a bar late at night and you started singing and your friends were like, ooh, I got goosebumps. They still felt something inside of you. 
And even though you weren't in the right place, the gift was still manifesting and it was still touching people. Can you imagine if God just started snatching gifts off depending on <laughs> whether or not we were hot or cold? Now, we do that with our children all the time. If you're good, here's the iPad. If you're bad, give me the iPad. If you're good, you go outside. If you're bad, you don't get to go outside today. But God is not like us. He says, I have given you a gift, and I'm not going to snatch it back from you. I'm going to leave it in you. I'm going to keep it in you. And I'm going to work to bring you back into the place so that the gift could be manifested and touched. And so that when you're out there, you can still taste my glory, even though you're running from me. So I am spiritually gifted. Say it one more time. I am spiritually gifted. I am spiritually gifted. Yes, you are. I know you don't feel like it. Maybe you haven't felt it. Maybe you haven't touched it. Maybe you haven't yet to discover or taste it what God has placed inside of you. But today I want to reassure you. I want this to be buried on the inside of you. You are spiritually gifted. And you have something to give, not just the person with the microphone, not just the person that the spotlight is on. You are spiritually gifted. We are the unstoppable church. One more time, there is nothing more powerful on earth than a human being, man or woman, that their heart is connected to God and who is operating in their gift. Today, I want to suggest to you this, that it is God's grace who sets us apart. It is the grace and favor of God that chooses you and sets you apart. Your mom didn't put in an application for you and God said, yeah, I think he checks out. Your dad didn't put an application and say, you know, this is my baby girl and I really love her. And God said, you know what? This application looks good. She's cute. I'm a user. No. No one vouched on your behalf. And even if they did, it doesn't work like that in the kingdom. You were chosen simply because God saw fit to choose you. Salvation is a gift, the Bible tells us, freely given to us, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there's nothing that you or I did for God to see fit and find favor over us. It is just, hear me, the love of a father. The love of a father over his creation. And because he is your father, you are his son and daughter. He says, I choose you. Beautiful picture. But I want to suggest something to you. Okay? It is the favor of God that you are chosen, but it is the use, hear me, it is the use of the gift that he put inside of you when he chose you that positions you for your greatness. In other words, God does this, hey, you're my son, you are great. You are my daughter, you are great. You have my grace, you have my favor, but we, we spoke about this weeks ago. God's grace is never empty-handed. Scripture always says, talks about God's grace and the gift that comes along with it. And so he says, you are my son, you are great, but in him calling you his son, there's gifts placed on the inside of you. I chose you, my boy. I chose you, my daughter. But in choosing you, I place something on the inside of you. Gifts, talents. There's so much potential inside of you. And so choosing, look at this. God's grace brings you into a room. But it's your gift that sets you apart. God's favor brings you into the room. 
but it's your gift that sets you apart and it's your gift that positions you for greatness. So what does that mean? That means you can't just be walking around, I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. Make room for me. Spirit of entitlement. Because why? Everyone else can say the same thing. So why would you merit something more than someone else? You can't walk around saying, I'm a child of God. I'm the son of a king. <laughs> Get your son of a king shirt, right? Daughter of a king shirt. Do it. It's cute. Pink and gold. I like that. But, <laughs> but you can't walk around in a way demanding rights without reason. You can't walk around saying, I'm a child of God, so I demand a higher pay grade. <laughs> Try it. Even if your boss is a Christian, he's going to be like, oh, really? I'm a child of a king, too. And I don't think you merit that right of that demand. What then entitles you to acquire something or sit in a space or be elevated or promoted? In the natural, you have to work harder. In the natural, you have to be especially gifted. You have to bring something that someone else isn't bringing. And so spiritually, as we translate that, you can't just walk around demanding things spiritually, saying you're a child or daughter of the king, because we all are. What is going to bring you to another level spiritually? What is going to open the door for you spiritually? Are you ready? The gift. The gift that God put inside of you. So here's, this is what you done. You got to understand. If you are sitting there squandering the gift, are you sitting there bearing the gift? Then I can tell you this. Pray as hard as you want, but you're never going to see any doors open. Be careful if you're fasting with a spiritual entitlement because then you're just going to starve and never accomplish anything. So today we rebuke the spirit of entitlement right now. I rebuke the spirit of entitlement inside of me. If I walk in here, oh, I'm the pastor of the church. <laughs> That's my pastor walk. I'm the pastor of the church. I'm a worshiper of the church. I get to sing, they don't. I'm a greeter. You're not. <laughs> I'm a preacher. You're not. I'm a teacher. You're not. If there's anything that sabotages a church, is a church that misuses their gifts and drowns themselves in entitlement. Then you wonder why one ministry leader is fighting with the other ministry leader. You know what's the first thing they tell me? Well, let me not put a name. So, <laughs> Well, my ministry is the most important in the church. Spirit of entitlement, if you think so. It must be most important to you because God's entrusted you with leadership over it. But do not think that someone else's ministry is less important to God. And so nothing sabotages purpose like misappropriation of God's gift. If you want God to fire you real quick, misappropriate the gifts that he's given to you. 
abuse the gift. You want God to kick you out? Abuse the gift? Misuse the gift? Or leave the status of the gift unused? How many people remember King Saul? The first appointed king of Israel. There was no one more entitled than King Saul. I went back and I read it. I knew it, but I went and I checked it. There's no reason why God chose Saul except for the fact that he was entitled. (laughs) There's nothing that else that said that God saw in him, that God, you know, there was nothing. Nothing that God in Scripture said about Saul that positioned him for the king, for for, for, for the throne. You know how he got there? The people went to God, said, Samuel's. He's a prophet. He's your man, but he's old. And we want a king just like everyone else. And God's like, but I'm your king. They're like, no, we want what they have. Give us an earthly king. Talk about entitlement. And so God says, okay, you want someone eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger, bite a toe, Saul, you are it. I can imagine God saying, oh, they want a man as a king? Okay. the scripture doesn't say anything that Paul had in his spirit, his heart being connected to God, him being spiritually gifted, nothing. The only thing it says is that he was tall. So he was tall, he was handsome. So since he was probably taller than everyone, God's like, oh, I see you, him. (laughs) And he gives them to the people because that's what they wanted. Not because God ever wanted them to have a king. And so Saul is there, entitled, not doing anything for the people prior or anything for God to be in that position. So his ministry, his kingship, his leadership begins with entitlement. And this is why business people, be careful when you bring your children to business, right? Because you work so hard to establish something And it's a blessing because you get to provide for your family, give to your family, right? You built something. I built this church. We built this church on the sacrifices of our own blood, sweat, and tears. And so we got to be careful with our children and our grandchildren, more so the grandchildren, because the children built and sacrificed with us. But it's those two little grandchildren over there that walk in here who haven't sweated any tears for this, haven't sacrificed much. We got to be careful that when we get old like Samuel, that we don't pass the kingdom, we don't pass the vision over to children who they are in position just because of their name. And I'll be scared if they don't get connected to the heart of God because they will receive it in entitlement. And so Saul is there, and entitlement did nothing. And immediately, you know what you see happen? You see him struggle. Now, many of us, on the surface, God rejected Saul because of his disobedience. How many people just trying to go back? I'm not going to read all the verses. But Saul is rejected because of his disobedience as king. What did he do? One, he sacrificed 
because he was impatient to wait for the prophet Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice. On the seventh day, Samuel was supposed to offer sacrifice. Since Saul didn't see Samuel there at the time he thought he should be there, he took it upon himself to offer sacrifices. And no, kings were not supposed to sacrifice. Only the man of God, the priest and the prophet. But he did so. And when Samuel got there, he said, what did you do? He said, I felt compelled to do it. In other words, I'm entitled. I did not wait for the right man to do it. I just took it upon myself. And Samuel said, oh, good Lord, here it begins. Nothing worse than having someone in leadership who is entitled. So I was like, my goodness, God's not, God's not happy with you, bro. God warned you to obey him when you got anointed. Then later on after that, some time passes by, they go to war and God instructs uh, Saul through the prophet Samuel, when you go here, destroy everything, destroy this, everything, don't take nothing. And so what does Saul do? He goes into battle, he destroys half and the rest he keeps because it's good, good sheep, good, you know, good spoils, he keeps it. And when Samuel gets there, he's like, bro, what happened? He's like, I killed everything like the Lord told me, but this stuff was really good. Spirit of entitlement. And then Prophet Samuel said, I'm out of here. Like, I'm gone. The Lord has done with you. I'm out. And Saul went and tried to grab hold of him as Samuel was leaving, and he ripped his garment. And then Samuel was like, yeah, yeah, you're holding my garment. You ripped my God has ripped the kingdom from you, brother. If you ever want God to fire you, abuse, misuse, or do not use the gifts that God has placed inside of you. And then the Bible says this, Samuel said it, and God has chosen, he's looking for a man after his what? His own heart. I mean, Saul was given a gift. He was given leadership. That's a spiritual gift. He was given the gift of spiritual leadership, and he blew it. Even right after that, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. God even tried to help the brother out. <laughs> he dumped some spiritual stuff on him. And Paul started prophesying in so much that rumors started to be spoken. Is Paul, uh, I mean, is, is Saul also among the prophets? No, it just goes to show you that when God gives you something, he gives you gifts. He had leadership, and he even gave him the gift of prophecy for a time being. And Paul misappropriated the gifts, was entitled, and therefore it was stripped from him. Saul, sorry. You guys know where I'm at, right? Every time I say Paul, you know it's Saul. Until we get back into the New Testament. Say, I'm spiritually gifted. Why I'm telling you this, and I'm beating up the church with this. Because the gifts are inside of you. And we cannot sit on them forever. Not because God is going to take the gift back. But without the use of what God placed inside of you, you will never be positioned where God needs you. Look at this amazing verse. How many people who know who was the most wisest man that ever lived? The Bible tells us who? Solomon. Solomon prayed for understanding and God gave him wisdom and knowledge. He prayed and God gave him the gift of wisdom. So he was spiritually gifted with wisdom. Look what his wisdom writes. Look what his wisdom says to us. Proverbs 18, verse 16 says this. 
a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before what? Great men. This is the problem. You pray for God to make room for you, and God says, yes, son, yes, daughter, I have chosen you. But it's the gift that I placed inside of you that is going to open the door. And so even though I chose you, if you lock up the gift, then you lock yourself out of the opportunity that God has for you. It's the gift that is opening the door for you. And so if you have something special inside of you that God gave you and you never use it, you're never going to go anywhere. Not even the place that God wants to take you because it's the gift that's on the inside of you that you need to use and activate. And as you use and activate it, the world will start to demand you. Many of us don't even have friends. Because we're not even using the, the gifts. We're not even starting to use the gifts that God has for us. So nobody even wants you. I mean, you got gifts of compassion and mercy and encouragement and giving inside of you, but you don't ever manifest them. So no one wants to be your friend. You got the ability to teach, but you never teach. No one wants to talk to you. Then No one's going to invite you over. No one's going to take you out. You're a gifted musician of God, but you never play. Ain't no one going to invite you to be part of the band. You have a voice. You sound like three angels in one. But you won't even sign up for Team 7. Your gift is, you, you, you suppressing the gift is locking out the opportunity. Now God, right, he rejects Saul. And he says, I have, I'm looking, I'm choosing one after my own heart. And we know who that is. That is King David, young little boy, son of Jesse. And God chooses him. He tells the prophet Samuel, I want you to go down to Jesse's house. There is the next king, a man after my own heart. Samuel gets there, all the, seven, all the sons of Jesse pass by, and God's like, nope, not that one, nope, not that one, nope, not that one. Finally gets to David, he goes, this is the king. The youngest, he wasn't even invited by his dad into the room. He left him out in the field tending the sheep. David was probably out there with his little harp and with his little shepherd staff. He was leading the sheep up the mountain, down the mountain, protecting them. He was using that sheep to defeat bears and all that kind of stuff like that. And when the prophet Samuel came to, to Jesse, he said, one of your sons is king. The father lined him up, said it has to be one of these, leaving him out. But let me tell you something about when God has favor and when God has grace for you, he's going to place you where he needs to place you to give you an opportunity if you show up. And so you're here by the grace and favor of God. That's what I told you. The grace and favor of God will put you in a room even when others leave you out. But it's you using the gift that's going to get you selected once you're there. And so you can even get to the right place, but if you don't activate the gift inside of you, you still will not be chosen. And so the prophet Samuel, hear me, anoints him as God tells him. He says, anoint this one. He gets the horn of oil, pours it on his head. And you know what the Bible says? After he is anointed as the next king of Israel, he doesn't go into the kingdom. Don't stop at 1 Samuel chapter 16 because then you're going to think, oh, and then he goes into the kingdom. No. He gets anointed. You know where he goes? The Bible says he goes back to Ramah. You know where was Ramah? That's not where his, uh, Jesse and David lived, of course. That's where the prophet Samuel lived, the priest of God. So he goes back home after he is anointed as king, 
back with his favor, back with his grace, back with his oil. He goes back into a place of hiding, a place of isolation. And he's there in the presence of Samuel, the man of God, the prophet of God, the priest of God. And so you know what happens to King Saul? Because God ripped the kingdom away from him, he also ripped the spirit away from him. And in turn, he received a spirit of, 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 of uh, uh, confusion, a, a, a spirit of oppression, a, a, a spirit that would torment him. Do you guys remember this passage in the Bible? After God removed the kingdom from him spiritually, he went into depression and into torment. And an evil spirit would come, the Bible says, to torment him. And so you know what happens? His wise men, his officials say, you know what we need to do? We need to do something to soothe him. We need something to calm him. We need something to change his atmosphere. We need to get his mind off of that. We need to get this man somehow back into the presence of God. We need to get this guy right because he is going nuts. And look, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17 says, So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Look, find someone who what? Plays well. One more time. Find someone who what? Plays well. Now God chose David because of what? His. But what positioned him in the presence of the king? His gift. He was not looking for a man after God's heart. God had chosen him. So God's favor and grace even put David in their minds. But he was actually selected throughout the whole entire land. Could you imagine? Think of this. The president of the United States needing just one person to play the piano to him or play the guitar to him or just the harp. And they searched the entire country. We just want one. Not 50 of the best. Not 20 of the best. Not the top 10. Not the top 5. We want the single number one best. And when it came down to it, David was selected. I wonder how often David had to play his harp to become the best throughout the whole land. I wonder how much effort, how much time, how much working, how much tuning of the strings, how many melodies, how many songs he had to have written in order for the king to select him. He was so gifted that when he played, he spiritually rebuked demons away from the king. He was so gifted that when he stepped into the room of the king, the, 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 the strongholds, the bondages, the oppression left the room. The minute he started playing, what brought him into that room? Not the heart. Solomon said, a man's gift makes room for him, man or woman, and brings him or her before great men. There are too many children of God crying for God to open a door, do more, give them something, get a promotion at their job. And it's the gift of God that you are suppressing that is locking you out from the very prayer that you want God to answer on your behalf. God, I just want to do more for you. I just want them to see me. I just want to have that spot like everyone else. You know how many times I heard people complain, Pastor, I feel left out. It seems like it's the same people all the time. And I'm like, and how many times are you here? Well, I come when I can. Um, ha. Ah. 
I have to ask God for the spirit of encouragement to come upon me. Entitlement, demanding rights without any reason. Oh, so because you're a son and daughter of God, everyone's a son and daughter of God. That's the favor that we all have. That's the grace that we all share. But David, if you want to be in the presence of the king, David didn't start playing the harp when he got in the presence of the king. He's been playing that whole time in the field when no one was watching him. He was working his gift when no one was watching him. Today I want to tell you, well, but I, Pastor, I don't know what my gift is. Pray. See, when you go to pray now this time, say, God, I'm struggling. I have these children. I really, times are really hard right now, God. You know, and I need to provide for them. Yes, pray. Pray for God to provide. But then do this. Say, God, I'm asking and I'm trusting in your provision. I'm actually going to declare your provision. I don't got to ask for it. I declare your provision. But now, God, I ask you for a gifting. Give me spiritual giftings in this place. Because, God, I don't want to be entitled here and just think that I'm going to pray and all of a sudden I'm going to walk in Monday morning and the boss out of nowhere is going to say, here's an extra $20,000 this year. God, give me spiritual giftings to file papers better, to be gracious. Give me the spiritual gift of giving to be on time, not to call out something. Begin somewhere. Show God that you're trying to work in your gift. And I promise you, as you begin to work your gift, here, someone says, well, I don't know how to prophesy. I don't know how to speak in tongues. I don't even have prophetic dreams. I don't have visions. I don't have knowledge. I don't have teaching. Do you know that the gift of serving is a gift? Serving is a spiritual gift. And here's the problem. We got people all the time who come in and say, oh, pastor, I would love to be part of the church. Um, this is what I would like to do. <laughs> yes, praise the Lord. I prophesy that will be you one day. But no one starts at the top. I mean, David had the oil, the oil on his head, and he went back to the prophet's house. He did not go into the kingdom. And there is a problem then when you come in, and yes, maybe your heart and your passion is to do something over here. But then when the church says, yes, but we need service over here. And if you're not willing to serve over here, I promise you, at least in TDP, that will be the fastest way of you locking yourself out of doing anything up here. Just going to be honest right about now. I know you want to be the next, I don't know what in the church. But right now, we really need someone in the bathroom. Sure, I'll do that. Next week, you're gone. What, what, what happened? Pastor, I really see myself doing this. awesome, wonderful. Praise the Lord. I could believe that for you. But where we really need help right now is with those children. Ah, you know what? I'm not really called to children. Okay. Okay, great, great. Can, so can you help out with youth ministry? Ah, you know what? I don't like them either. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let me. It's not my calling. Better, right? It's not my calling. Great. Great. 
eventually you're going to find yourself with nothing to do in the ministry. Let me move forward. This is a problem that we have in the church too because we're, we're, not, we're not taught correct. We're not instructed. The church fails to teach correctly. Our problem is that we think that there are only nine gifts of the Spirit. Did you hear me? Our problem is that we believe that there are only nine gifts of the Spirit. You can Google it, nine gifts of the Spirit. It's going to give you a list as if there's only nine. There are gifts upon gifts within the body of Christ. And the reason why we say that there are nine gifts of the Spirit is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, in the description of spiritual gifts, in that letter to the Corinthians, nine are recorded. And so here's the problem. When you and I start reading the scripture, you're like, uh, nope, that's not me. Uh, nope, I can't do that. Uh, no, that's not, oh, I don't prophesy. Uh, nope, don't speak in tongues. Uh, nope, don't interpret on me. Uh, nope, I ain't smart. Uh, nope, can't pray for no one. They get healed. Once you get through with the nine, then you disqualify yourself from being gifted. I'm going to read that, and I'm going to go to another portion of scripture that the same man wrote where he lists other gifts. As a matter of fact, Paul later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 starts to talk about the gifts, right? And then look what he does. He says, you got to see the gifts like that of a body. And then he starts to talk about like the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. He starts saying the head don't even say to the feet that I don't need you. He starts talking about the, the, the gifts are like the members of the body. And even though we are many members or we have many parts of our body, I got a hand, I got ten fingers, it's still all one body. So Paul starts to talk about that. He goes, and there are gifts that are like kind of like on the, on, on the surface, and those are easily glorified. He goes, but there are gifts beneath the surface and he uses the word weaker, uh, you know, he uses these words like, you know, that they're unseen and no one gives honor to those. He goes, but we actually give more honor to the gifts that are not seen. Because just because the gift is not on the surface and just because, hear me, the gift is not in the spotlight doesn't mean it is any less part of the body and less valuable. So the problem that we have is that when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's do it, let's start at verse 4. Well, let's read verse 1. Look how he starts, and then we're going to jump around. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do, not want, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, I don't want you to be ignorant, confused, or misunderstood. So that's the foundation. Let me tell you, what's almost worse than someone who's not using the gift is someone who's using the gift but doesn't know how to use it. Because then you got someone who is operating under the power of God but doing it so crazy that now the glory of God is being misrepresented. So he says, I don't want you to misunderstand these gifts. Now we're going to skip to verse 4. Follow along. There are different kinds of gifts, right? But the same spirit distributes them. We went about this over the weeks. So I'm not even going to pause on them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Verse 7, follow me. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So the gift is for everyone, not self-glorification. Verse 8, to one there is given the Spirit a message of, here we go, wisdom. Let's count. As I say a gift, count out loud, okay? So number one, wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. 
by the means of the same spirit to another faith, by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing, by that one spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits or discerning of spirits, depending on your translation. How many is that? To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, their interpretation of tongues. Nine. And he stops there. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as what he determines. So you don't even pick your gift. Because God is looking, hear me, at a bigger picture. He knows where the need is at. He knows where the hurt is at. God knows where the lack is at when he looks into a church body. Not even the physical church, the dwelling place church, but when he looks into the spiritual body of Christ, he knows where the needs and where the lacks are. And so God gives gifts and he places them inside of you according to the need, not according to your want. So the minute you walk into a church body and start talking about where you think you should go, Ask yourself, am I coming in entitled rather than allowing God to give me an opportunity simply to serve and meet a need? The same writer Paul writes to the church of Romans because now you have these nine gifts of the spirit. And we're like, well, that's none of me. I don't do none of that. So I can't be gifted. No, you are spiritually gifted. Paul writes to the church of Romans in chapter 12, verses 3 to 7. Let's go there. Follow along. And I want you to count with me. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, you will not have the same gift every time of your brother and sister. It is okay to be different. No need to be jealous. No need to compare. God has. Why? Because he put the gifts in the body according to the need. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, imagine if we were all an eye. Imagine if we were all a hand. No, it's glorious that someone's a hand, someone's a foot, someone's a finger, someone's a joint, someone's a shoulder, someone's an ankle, someone's a knee. That's what makes us glorious and makes us function as a whole. We all can't be an eye. We all can't be an ear. We can't all be a preacher. We can't all be a pastor. We can't all prophesy, okay? We all want to prophesy because he prophesied. You ain't no prophet. Slow your row. Well, I want to be the pastor. God didn't call you to be no pastor. Well, I think I should be a leader. No, not everyone's a leader. I'm going to say it right now. No, no, we're all leaders. We're all leaders. We're all entrepreneurs. Well, guess what? If you're all leaders and you're all entrepreneurs, go to your job right now. Go to your leadership role right now and tell everyone who is serving under you, allowing your leadership to function, that they're no longer a volunteer and they're no longer a paid worker. They are now the boss too. And now you try and do everything while everyone else is a leader. <laughs> Pastor, I don't like that. I'm a leader. I'm a boss. Well, who's going to work for you when you're the boss? I'm a leader. Who's going to follow you? You're the leader. The purpose of leadership is to lead people. Don't be offended. <laughs> we good. Ready? <laughs> So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Ah, how hard to know I belong to you, you belong to me. Like I said last week, you could pick who you like, but you can't pick who you need. I may not invite you over for tea every night, but it doesn't mean I don't spiritually need you. It says this, verse 6. You following me? Ready? We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
Grace has a gift. I told you that. I'm not lying. The scripture says it. If your gift is prophesying, don't count that one. Why? Because we already counted that one in the nine. I believe it was number six in the nine. If your gift is prophesied, then do what? Then prophesy in accordance with your faith. All right, now let's start counting. We left off at nine, right? Ready? Let's go. If it is serving, oh my goodness. I told you I wasn't lying. <laughs> serving is a gift? Yes. And if all gifts are important, then guess what? The prophet and the server are just as important to the body of Christ. If it is teaching, there's a new one, count it. How many is that? Then teach. If it is to encourage, oh my goodness. You may not be able to heal the sick, but there's something in your words of encouragement that are bringing healing to the totality of an individual. This is how counselors come into play. This is how ministers come into play. This is how therapists come into play. Spiritually gifted, the gift of encouragement is a spiritual gift. So if someone was teaching you that when you pray and ask God for a gift, go only to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They have missed to give you all the gifts that there are. There are so many more. If it is giving, oh my goodness, yes, giving is a gift too. Then give generously. Ready? If it is to lead. If it is to lead. If, big if, not. <laughs> if it is to lead, do it diligently if it is to show mercy do it cheerfully how many was that 15 let's put up the slide with spiritual gifts so in just two letters two chapters you got you got nine over here then you read another and now you got six over here but there's even more if you just look this is just i just added some off the top of my head but I guarantee if you search in scripture, you're going to see other gifts out there. So let's just look at number one and number two, wisdom and knowledge. That, we see Solomon had the gift of wisdom and knowledge. Faith, the gift of faith. You remember the Syrophoenician woman who her daughter was seriously vexed with a devil? And, and, and she came to Jesus, and then Jesus said, oh, but it's not good to give the, the children's meat to the dogs. And she said, yes, but even the dogs eat the meat, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, wow, how great is your faith. Do you know that Joshua and Caleb, when they went out to spy out the promised land, when all the rest said, no, we can't do it, they had enough faith to say, yes, God is able to do this. That's a gift of faith. Healing. The disciples were given power by the Spirit of God to perform healing miracles. Miracles. Moses was gifted with this gift. He went into Egypt and tore Egypt up from top to bottom. Frogs, lice, locusts, blood in the water, everything. Moses was gifted with the gift of the miraculous. Prophecy. How many people remember Elijah? He prayed for it not to rain. It didn't rain until he said he wanted it to rain. The prophet Joel also was a, was a, had the gift of prophecy. Discernment of spirits. Paul was in Philippi when he went there preaching the gospel in Macedonia. Uh, and, and, and it says while he was there, there was a lady who came by and she was like, glory be to God and these men. They're here preaching the gospel. She kept following them for days and Paul turned around and rebuked her he said because she had a spirit of divination so be careful who gives you praise be careful who worships you the only way you're going to see if it's really genuine is if you have the spirit of discernment Paul had the spirit of discernment 
Speaking in tongues, the whole early church on the day of Pentecost exploded with speaking tongues of other languages. They didn't go to school for it. They didn't take a class on it. They were just able, God enabled them to speak another language to bring others into the presence of the Lord with them. Their interpretation of tongues. Now look at verse uh, number 10, right? That was the 10th one. Serving. You know how to gift the spirit of serving? Martha, while Mary was at the feet, Martha was in there baking a cake. And yeah, God told her that, you know, you got to know what's most important. But she nonetheless had a gift of serving. You know who? else had the gift of serving? Do you remember when Moses uh, got out into the mountain with the children of Israel? They went to battle, and the Bible says, as long as his hands were up, the children of Israel were winning, but the minute that they put their hands down, they started to lose. So Aaron came by his side, lifted up his hand on one side. Ur came by his side, lifted up his hand. Nobody remembers Ur. His name is only mentioned that one time in the Bible, but he had the gift of serving, and because he lifted and supported Moses' hands, who had the gift of miracles, they were able to defeat the army. Every single gift is important. Teaching Paul, another man, the gift of teaching, encouragement, giving. The church of Macedonia had the gift of giving. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he actually told them, like, hey, man, the Macedonians, they gave out of their poverty, and it welled up, and it did so much. Why? Because the Macedonian church had the gift of giving towards the cause of the spreading of the gospel. The gift of leadership, David and Gideon both had the gift of leadership. Mercy, who better example than Jesus self Jesus Christ himself to display the gift of mercy. And then we go into 16. The prophet Joel said, he had the gift of prophecy. He said, in the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Dreams. He, him using his gift prophesied about other gifts that were to come. And so when you look in scripture, Joseph was a, a, was a person of, of dreams, and he also had the gift of interpretation of dreams. Uh, the Apostle John, the beloved one who sat on Jesus' chest, as the Bible describes, his, the whole book of Revelation is him using his gift of vision in order to talk about what God did. And so we got dreams and visions as gift, interpretation of dreams. And verse 19, do you know that the, there's a spiritual gift of artistic design and architecture? That when Moses got the children of Israel out into the wilderness and then God gave them the design for the tabernacle, there were two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, who the Bible says that God filled them with the spirit of artistic design and the ability to craft and do architecture. That's a spiritual gift. And the last one I put here is the gift of worship and music. The Levitical priesthood were musicians and worshipers in charge of leading God's people into the presence of God. Your ability to even worship. David had this gift. He was a worshiper, a songwriter. He played the harp. My man was killing it on the strings. And you see that his gift positioned him in front of the king. And that access... To be able to be in front of Saul in Saul's time of need, when Goliath came and defied the armies of the living God and everyone was afraid, David's gift made room for him that he could be in their company even though he was not a warrior in, his, in Saul's army. And David said, oh, y'all ain't going to do nothing about this dude? I got it. 
and it positioned him for his greatest battle, which then propelled him towards the throne. But he would have never been on the battlefield if he was never in the presence of Saul. He would have never been in the presence of Saul if he never used his gift. So today I want to tell you, let's stand. You are spiritually gifted. And there's nothing that you can do more or less to change how God feels about you. God loves you. His grace is over you. His favor is over you. And you are chosen. Tell that to yourself right now. Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe no one ever told you. Say it. I am chosen by God. I am chosen, one more time, by God. All right? Now let's do this. Say, I rebuke the spirit of entitlement over my life. I rebuke the spirit of entitlement in my mind, in my heart. God, yes, I am chosen, but I know I have a gift. God, now I ask you to show me that gift. Now, right now, if you're someone, you don't know what your gifting is. You never, you, you don't even know what makes you special and what makes you valuable to the body of Christ. I want you to begin now and in your own time. Say, God, show me. God, show me. God, show me. Tell God, I'm available for you to use me. And I want you to know, whatever natural talents you think you have, I want you to make a transition in your mind and say, this is not a natural talent. This is a divine talent. This is a spiritual talent. God has given this to me. And then and what you need to do, make yourself available by your gift. And now if you search yourself and say, well, I don't got nothing to give. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't prophesy. I'm not smart. Then say, God, make me a servant. I'll take that gift. I'll serve. I'll humble myself. Wherever there is a need, I will serve. I want to share with you one verse to close. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes this. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Now, when you think of the word planted, this is not modern day planting. I know you got a nice front yard and you got a purple flower and a yellow flower and you got tall little trees here and over there. That's not the planting. This is talking about planting and toiling towards agriculture in order to produce food to feed family, community, and world. This is not gardening planting. This is agricultural planting, which means hard work. It's dirty. It's tiresome, it's long hours, it's in the heat, and it's essential in order for life to go on. So when Paul says, I planted, you need to know that that was time, that was energy, that was sweat, that was tears, that was punching in, punching out, resting up, punching back in. I planted. Paul is saying, I worked hard for this. And when he talks about Apollos watering, this is not a little plant that you water one time and throw magic dust on it, and next day you got a banana tree. This is 
watering consistently. This is watering precisely. Do you know what happens if you water too much? You drown. You know what happens if you water too little? It dries out. And so the watering has to be precise. It has to be specific. There has to be attention. There has to be detail. So Paul is saying, I planted and did that hard work, but then my brother came behind and he put in his hard work too. And when I put my part and my brother puts his part, then look what happens. God blesses with increase. He doesn't say, I prayed, Apollo prayed, God gave the increase. What I'm telling you to do is this. Pray and plant if God is calling you to be a planter. Pray and water if God is calling you to be a waterer. And when you pray and plant, pray and water, that is when God releases the increase. So church, I want to see God do something great in this lifetime. I want to see God do something great right now. I believe that God is...